We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. It's an Arsenal performance and result that leaves listener Bill from Boston saying, let's see how Paul defends this shit. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Counsel for the defense today will be Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posner My Pants. Hello, Counselor. Hello. I won't be a very good counselor, but hello. Well, we could all use a counselor after what we saw the other day, and the man who will be here to counsel us. Uh, also, generally, Sonny in his disposition, although I fear it may not be the case today. Tim is still uh, with the Brazilian family. That's not like slang for anything. He's with his family from Brazil. Um, Clive is here. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePAFC. And uh, Clive, it is, I guess, a pleasure to have you on. Uh, yeah, I, I won't be as chirpy as I was last week, but let's see how we go. Okay, well, look. There were no warning signs. There was no suggestion whatsoever that this team could have this happen. There were no slow starts. We didn't start slowly against Bournemouth or Preston or Swansea. How could we possibly know this was coming uh, except that it always does? So, Paul, let me ask you this. The lineup that he put out could arguably be called our first-choice lineup, although I think there's some debate about that. My question to you is, do you think the lineup was picked with an eye on the weekend's fixture uh, at Chelsea? Uh, yes. It certainly could have been. Certainly could have been. Not so much in midfield. I don't think they're... Which was really our Achilles heel. Um, but certainly up front, uh, you know, it, defensively, we didn't start Bellerin, but Bellerin was shite. Uh, in his his last outing and was probably being rested and does have a nick uh, up front. 
of course, the debate we'll have is about Giroud versus starting Alexis in the middle. Um, I think it's very interesting. We'll have a bigger discussion on that, but I think there's it's very interesting that Arson, for the first time in two decades, yanked a player at halftime uh, and swapped strikers, uh, maybe coinciding with the fact that he has a really good view of the field uh, in terms of space and play from from the upper tiers. And so he didn't fucking hang around till 65 minutes as usual. But uh, that'll be part of a bigger conversation. Midfield-wise, yeah. you know, what could he do apart from Cockle and Ramsey? Um, I mean, I think there were he, calls yeah. to, to put Ox in the midfield. I, I admit that that is, you know, that would have been sort of a nuclear option given that he had two arguably first-choice midfielders available. Sure. Yeah. Uh, certainly, it's kind of... The default obvious pairing was the pairing you went with in midfield. It's not like he did anything weird and funky. All we right. might have wished he had, but... Well, let's, uh, and, and to me, our Achilles heel is that two-man midfield... And has been for a couple of seasons now. All right, so so Clive, I, I've got a, a number of issues here. I mean, first of all, we we play a very mobile, very hard running lineup against Southampton, and admittedly, a a very understrength Southampton side. But we run them ragged, and we see the best of what our attacking force, even without Ozil and Sanchez, can be. Um, we go back to the setup that, let's face it, has been pretty disappointing, at least for the start of matches, basically since we've gone back to it. And not only that, but we go back to Giroud in the center against a team that's playing four central defenders across the back. Um, yep. We don't use Bellerin, who, you know, I while I agree with what Paul said, is a pacey, wide option if we're going to try to exploit them having center backs at the fullback position. Instead, we play uh, Awobi and Sanchez on the wings, who are guys that are going to try to dribble inside, come inside, and we'll get to Awobi because he, he may have been the lone bright spot. But we didn't really set up to exploit the four big, lumpy center backs across the back. We went with Giroud. And then, you know, this was really the audition. And now it's not going to really matter because of injury. But for the Cochrane ramsey midfield. So let's start first with the attacking choice. Were you disappointed to see Giroud reinstated to the striker position, especially given the way the opposition was lining up? I must admit, you know, we all like the football. We all like to analyze. And I was okay with Giroud starting. I mean, I was okay. I thought, you know what? We're going to have the ball. We're going to push them back. We're going to put loads of crosses in, and Giroud is going to eventually get one. And who we'll who was going to deliver those crosses? I mean, just, you know, it, it, well, it's, not gonna Gabriel, Gabriel. it's not going to be Gabriel. It's not going to be Monreal. Right. I mean, so this is it. So this is where we're going. Sanchez has been banging in crosses for the last two or three games to Giroud I, and, so and others. Well, go so ahead. It's not, just about, it's, it's not just about Giroud, right? So. And I've heard Tim talk about this, and me and Tim have had some offline chats, and I totally agree with him. If you pick Giroud, you have to commit to Giroud, right? So what you don't do is give him a, an Iwobi on the right and a Gabriel on the right. Because Iwobi is a inside forward, either he's a 10 or he, he plays from the left. And yes, Iwobi had a great game, but he had a great game in the second half again. Yes, great Once he moved to left-hand mm-hmm. side. Right, so, so he is not someone who's gonna is gonna drive to the to not to the byline, but take people on the outside and deliver crosses. Right, Özil does that a lot once he wakes up and recognizes that he go needs to go to the right hand side. We had no fullback creating the overloads out wide because Gabriel does a great job, and like any football player who's playing out of position, 
you can do it for a certain amount of time and then eventually you come up against a situation when you're required to show the true attributes of a fullback and you get caught out. Everyone's killing Gabriel, but he's done a great job there so far. But yesterday, by going 2-0 down, we needed something else. We needed someone more progressive. We needed someone more forward-thinking. We didn't need a centre-half playing out of position. We go 2-0 up. We're all happy with Gabriel playing right back. No one's moaning because the clean sheet's coming. So that's the situation. So it's about committing to the style of play. And what we have, we have two distinct styles of play, which are too far apart. And what the manager's not quite doing, he's not quite committing to the second to the Giroud style. So, you know, Giroud's not my number one pick centre forward. But if you're gonna play him, play him properly. Give him the framework where he can succeed. Give him wide men, make him a threat, make him draw attention. Right? There's one statistic that is, is very hard to measure. How players draw attention to themselves. Sanchez draws two, three men, yet still produces. Other players don't do that. If you don't give a player like Giroud the framework from which to succeed in, he's not going to draw attention. He's going to be bossed. We're going to be pushed back. And then we're going to be forced to build through our centre midfield. And we all know, for all the strengths of Ramsey and Coquelin, building through the thirds is not their strength. No. Connecting our team is not their strength. So we become disjointed. And then we're sitting here, and we can talk about that, the three of us together. By the way, last time I looked, I wasn't getting £8 million a year, right? So this is not something new that we're seeing here. And the moment the team came out, I was not as excited as I was versus Southampton because the balance looked completely wrong. But I thought, you know, I'm not going to be clever here. I thought, that's still enough to beat Watford. We're not going to concede. They're not confident. They've got a game against, I think, Burnley at the weekend. They could have moved this game to Wednesday. They took it on a Tuesday, even though they played on Sunday, because they didn't expect to get what they got from us. And they wanted to create a big space for their weekend game, which the one they have to win. And yet we still managed to snatch defeat from, not the jaws of victory, but snatch defeat at home to a team that hasn't won in about seven games. What was it, seven, seven or eight games in the league without a win? And, you know, I think, I, I joked that we had the perfect setup for a Sam Allardyce team, not for an Arsene Wenger team. Um, there's a great uh, still shot from 35 or 55, might have been 55 seconds, 35 seconds, one of those, into the match. And it's Ramsey, you know, 20 yards from his own goal, with three defenders in the half with him, four Watford players, and there's no other Arsenal player in the screenshot which encompasses our entire half. How are you supposed exactly. to build play? I just it doesn't make any sense. So Paul, let's let's talk about the midfield. And there's a lot to unpack here. I you know, I mean there's the defending of course because you don't lose two one without conceding twice, and we'll have to come to how that happened. But the Coughlin Ramsey midfield, you know, even if it was fit for selection this weekend, would have to be probably in jeopardy based on what little we saw. You know, the problem with analyzing this is that both of these players now have become such lightning rods, and so people feel that they just have to take sort of the opposition position sometimes. Ramsey gets too much mm -hmm. abuse, certainly. So he he winds up being defended maybe more than he deserves. And the same goes for Cock, where the truth is probably in the middle. Um what was your take on the limited period of time we got to see those two playing together? Well, it's one of the things, kind of to to uh, reflect what you said. It's very hard to give meaningful 
uh, analysis in a game like this because it's a game of three three sections. We started we actually started reasonably brightly uh, for the first few minutes and then uh, fucked up on the free kick uh, and completely fucked up. Th- then we got into this rush panic. You know, that was 10 minutes into the game. Why didn't we calm down? Why didn't we gain control? Uh, why didn't we start to build? But we well, decided you could to argue that we didn't, have, we didn't have the personnel to control a game, especially yeah, when they exactly. were getting in our face. No, Yeah, yeah, I get that. But there's a difference between recognizing you can't have a steady build and just kind of calming things down. I mean, the, look at how the second free kick or the second goal comes about. Uh, a rushed throw-in to Ramsey, who's, uh, who, which puts him immediately under pressure. He's checking his o- over his shoulder to see what his options are, and the ball's nicked off his toe. Um, and you look at Ramsey, Cockland, they're completely flat and parallel with each other in the midfield. So, mm-hmm. And big gaps to the, to the, the centre-backs. And it's basic. we're chasing it like there's five minutes to go in the game. We're only a goal down. It's only ten minutes in. And so... Uh, you know, they power through the middle, uh, make us look like shit. We're two goals down. And now it's utterly, fortunately, then they can just take the pressure. I mean, they kept coming at us, but not with quite the same intensity. They still won battles all over the pitch uh, in the first half. But to me, the, the biggest mistake was, you know, can we can we just calm it down and get some some measure of our game plan back? Maybe not controlled building from the back but can we go back to our game yeah. plan um because at the end of the day we had time and what if anything what we lacked in the middle of the park was some leadership to yeah. just kind of steady the fucking nerves uh right the ship um someone, someone like shakapal maybe what do you think it, well that's the th- that was the ironic thought i came up with exactly the same thing uh, for for the irony of how he loses his calm in those uh, in those rash moments, he's actually the midfield general we're yeah. looking for. He, he's probably still a bit young for that, but he has that personality. You know, he has the keys. Well, he can also um, look. He can break the lines. He can pass between the lines. And I I think in a game yeah. where we weren't linking well, if you need to be playing twenty five thirty yard passes from deep midfield up to the forwards, he and Mustafi are really the two players in our team you know, absent Santi, who can yeah. do that. Um, you look at this and look, I mean, it is a shit show of epic proportions and, and the yeah. results around the league make it just feel that much worse. Um, it puts us into a dogfight for fourth instead of, you know, even remotely con- <clears throat> considering a title. And we can come to the, the postmortems later, but we got to get to the goals. And I think the first goal, you know, you, you can potentially, maybe, arguably have some sympathy with a deflected free kick, although you could raise questions about Ramsey, the way he turns his body uh, to the shot. I think Mustafi gives away a dumb foul. Um, Clive, I'll let you have a go on the goals individually, but before you do, I just want a quick word about Mustafi. Yep. This is a guy who is a tremendous passer, who can build play from the back, which is great. He's also a guy who I think is an excellent defender pushing high up the pitch. Um, ball recoveries, interceptions, positioning there but when he has to defend deeper does not seem to have an aptitude for tackling in tight spaces and closing down his man um is that what they really exposed on both the goals uh, i just felt mustafi is what i call a front foot defender he likes exactly. to go and engage people he goes to he, he seeks and destroys but when he gets it 
I mean, he has played fullback and he has played defensive midfield in Sampdoria. So when he gets in the middle of the pitch, he's not thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm too high up here. He's not thinking, I can't play. He's thinking, I can play from here. And we, I felt yesterday, because we don't build up with the two, Ramsey and, and, um, and, and Coquelin, I felt he was almost too keen to press forward. He was too keen to take the initiative. He spent too much time in central areas. I just thought we weren't connected. I thought I thought Koscielny was too far away from him. But, but didn't the mistakes, I, I, the, the mistakes that led to the goals, Clive, sorry to interrupt, pretty yeah. clearly come, though, from positions where he was deep, he was in position to make, you know, to stop the man running at him and just didn't seem to have the confidence in the tackle up close. I mean, these weren't situations where they played in behind him. Yeah, I mean, we'd already given away three or four free kicks in the first ten yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. So that tells me we're already on the stretch. That's fair. So it comes back to it comes back to you know, sometimes, you know, we, we like to analyze the game, the three of us, and it's great. But you know what? Sometimes you look at something and you think, How does this feel? How does this feel? I immediately felt vulnerable. Why? Because physically we were not in charge of this game. Watford were much bigger than I expected much taller, much heavier, much stronger, much quicker than I expected. Much more aggressive. They they felt it. They sensed it. They didn't come here to do that. When you're a footballer, you smell it. You smell fear. You smell when someone's not confident to receive it. You smell when they're not fit. I don't think Cochrane or Ramsey had trained much. They looked slow. They didn't look sharp. They didn't look front foot. They didn't look confident. They didn't want the ball. I'll tell you now, on the first goal, Peter Cech puts two in the wall. We have a free kick 35 yards out. There's a reason why he puts two in the wall. He wants to see when the guy strikes it. He wants clear vision. He wants two in the wall, slightly to his right, so he can block off part of the goal. But he wants to see the strike of the ball. And what Ramsey decided, for some reason, he decided he'd seen something. So I'm now going to move right in front of my goalkeeper. Straight away now, you've reduced his reaction time. It's hit him unluckily. It's gone in the net. Why move? Trust your goalkeeper to make the save. Okay? Now, let's go second goal. Right? So second goal. There was two throw-ins very quickly together. On the second goal, there was the first throw-in. Gabriel looked inside. He wanted it to throw to Ramsey. Ramsey moved slightly. And then he gets it. I mean, I, I, I played to a decent level of football. right? And I know exactly what's happening here. He did not want the ball. He just given away basically an own goal. He didn't want it. So he does what I call, let me fix my socks. Gabriel goes down the line. He gets kicked out. Comes back to Gabriel again. He goes to throw it inside. And this time Ramsey's forced to accept the ball. So what he should have done was face it up back to the thrower. But what he's tried is almost like a no-touch turn, you call it. You let it run across your body, you get into a race, you dummy it, let it run across your body, and you go out the other side. Except Kapui had read it, and he fancied a sprint with him, and he won the sprint. And now, guys, how did you feel when Kapui was running through our midfield? Did you think Ramsey was catching him? Did you think Cochrane was catching him? I thought Cochrane should have done better, yes. So yes, yeah, so, and in, so, a way, in a way, Cochrane caught him, but then he, he did that sidestep shimmy. He and stopped and started him. He stopped. Yeah. He stopped and started him, Paul. He stopped him. Yeah. He started him. Now what Cochrane's yeah. got to do is say, you know what? I'm not buying no dummies. I'm getting yep. goal side. 
Well, I'm getting let me ask you this. Here's a player I'm... who has never been shy about going to ground, about making a hard tackle, about even picking exactly. up a yellow card when it's called for. There has been no... We're down a goal. That's nothing against a Watford. They're not that technical aside. You don't let him dribble it into your box. You don't let him dribble it into your box. You're dead right. So you've got a decision to make. You got either go goal side, stand him up, or you go to ground, take him out. But what you don't do is buy the dummy and let him onto your centre half. Your centre half now is already given away two fouls. He's now in his box. Now I felt he was squared up. He should have shoved him down one side. He was squared up, so he's dragged. Kapui's dragged it to one side. He's now got momentum. He's got movement. Very similar to Dembele against Spurs. He's got movement. He's in charge now. He's near the box. And Mustafi, I felt, was already angry with the fact his midfield was bypassed. Takes a shot, and we're very unlucky with the deflection. He went to the one place where Troy Deeney could score. But straight away, I want to talk about the vulnerability of covering green grass. We did not look able to cover that midfield. Can I, can I say something real, 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 yep. really quick? Uh, when they write the uh, biography of Arsene Wenger's second 10 years as Arsenal manager, can we use that as the title, The Vulnerability of Covering Green Grass? Because yeah, it, it sums well up the last 10 years. Uh, honestly, uh, fans are not stupid. You feel it. You feel it within five minutes. And by the way, players feel it. Players sense it. Watford became confident. They became in charge. And they bullied us around. They won every single fight. So we have come out on that pitch. We have come out to play. We haven't come out to earn the right to play. We've come out to play. We've all got 3-0 in our heads. Come on, I did too. I had my hands up. I had 3-0 in my head. The players, players the manager, got, everybody. The players, <laughs> yep. everybody's got 3-0 in their head. Well, no one thought we'd have to fight for the right to play in the first 20 minutes. I didn't hear anybody saying that, and our players didn't, and that's a real concern. Yeah, We I, are not approaching games correctly. I, I tweeted out, I've never seen a team that starts games so slowly so often start games thinking they're the cock of the walk so often. You know what I mean? Like, like for as many times yeah. as we get punished early, it's amazing that we still feel that way. Paul, I, I want to get back to you, but I, I'll just make this point really quickly. Um, you know, we watched at the weekend, and I know FA Cup, different team, different opposition, but we look at our best results this season even. When this team can run at other teams, there's very few teams that can live with that. Look at the Chelsea game. And again, I realize they're not going to sit deep, but this was a team of slow, plodding giants we were up against. And what did we put up against them? Slow Gabrielle, slow, slow Monreal, slow yeah. Ramsey, slow Coughlin. Alexis is not a speedster. Very slow Giroud. Relatively, you know, Awobi, again, not a sprinter per se. More dribblers who like to come inside. And when, when big, oafish, less technical teams can keep you in front of them, they love that. They love that. Um, we saw it immediately the second half after we made the change that we were able to start getting in behind them and start putting the shits up them. And there was a period there where we did that where they they looked like they could concede three, four, five, six. And you saw the difference that that loss of confidence had in them for a period. And that's the problem with giving away the second goal. It's like the Monaco Champions League game at home. You know, giving away the first goal is recoverable against a team that's that's that poor, but... You give them a two-goal lead and some confidence, and, and it changes the whole dynamic. Paul, for me, when we play well, I look at the pitch and I look at our spacing. And from center backs to full backs to central midfield yep. to the forwards, it all links together. The space is stitched together. There were so many periods of that match where there were 40 and 50 yards between the line, the banks of, of Arsenal defenders, attackers, midfielders. Um, is, is it time? I mean, is this match 
finally, finally, finally the sign that at least while Cazorla is injured or or Shaka is suspended, that the two-man midfield just is playing with fire too much to stick with? With this personnel, it is. Um, And so the issue will be, even if, let's say magically, uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Oxlade-Chamberlain was a two that worked okay in this system, it won't be two weeks before we get a nick or before somebody comes back and it changes again, and then we're right back to the... Either way, we're going to be right back to the problem of our system only works for very specific pairings, which tells you it's just under far too much pressure. Um, We need more flexibility in terms of our... um, our approach, our formation, our layout. I mean, we switch around the front three, um, which dramatically changes how we play uh, and who's playing 10 from time to time. But it all is built, predicated on the two-man midfield. And I think, you know, an ongoing issue is the two-man midfield plus Ozil, who's obviously an extremely talented individual. But he doesn't impress himself on certain aspects of every game. Um, And much as he uh, scrambles back to form a three with the other two, you know, he doesn't have, he was pretty physical in the tackles, especially in the second half. I mean, he was getting stuck in, but it's just not his game. It's it's kind of, um, you know, he's impersonating a midfielder. With all due and respect so, to, to, to Awobi, who, who has been excellent, to be fair, and, and was yeah. arguably the bright spot of this performance, couldn't you make an argument that Ozil aping the Awobi role, you know, playing sort of inside left with Alexis through yeah. the middle and Theo on the right or Lucas on the right, you know, whatever sure. hard running forward you want, can be as effective, if not more so, give still gives Ozil freedom, but allows you now to play a three where maybe you drop... You know, an Oxlade Chamberlain back in the midfield. Uh, you know, who, who, I mean, I'm starting now to go through my head on what personnel we even have left. But, I mean, yeah. hell, you could put Awobi into midfield and just sort of flip those roles. But, I mean, isn't there a point at which we look at this and we say we are just not controlling games enough in the center yeah. of the park with this setup? Against any strong team, our midfield has been under pressure for for pretty much forever. Um and Watford ended up accidentally being a very strong midfield. They they got the goal. Uh, they felt empowered, as Clive so eloquently put it. I mean, you, they were just bigger, stronger, winning every every duel. The manager could uh, talked about that and could see it in uh, blinding clarity from from the stands. I mean, they were just powering through us. Um, and our midfield, when you. I don't know why every team doesn't go at our midfield. Just press the bastards. Pre- you know, whoever it is. If you press our midfield, especially when one of the two is Coughlin, I just don't think we can live with it. Um, and, yeah. you know, neither Ramsey nor Coughlin is particularly a a crisp possession-oriented passing midfielder. I mean, Ramsey is, you know, arguably, though maybe less so recently, a box-to-box, yeah. carry-the-ball kind of midfielder. And Coughlin is, you know, the cha- the chaos theory guy you yeah. know, he, he, he and when pinches I up and steals that, the ball that pairing as having some potential for it it was on the assumption they'd both be fit and on it that they'd have Bellerin to the right of them um and that we'd 
you know, we'd be in good nick generally. And both of them looked slow, flat-footed. Ramsey clearly wasn't up to snuff. And they lacked Bellerin. And so... Uh, it, it didn't put him in the best position, nor did they turn in their best possible performance. For sure. I, I for think sure. Ramsey in particular is a player where there's kind of a cloud over his Arsenal career to some extent right now, just because of the fact that he hasn't been able to stay fit and get a run of games where he's been able to excel in any position that you would say he's claimed a stake to as his own. Uh, or it, Let's put that in English. Stake to claim to as his own. We'll fix that in post. Yeah. Not. Uh, the Paul, ongoing injuries <laughs> makes you think, you know, how can you build a team... Uh, with with Ramsey in mind, I mean, it's I just, don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, he's such a specific player that he needs. There's only going to be one or two Here's people who can partner he, with him. And needs, the next thing, he, sorry, he he needs the license that an Ozil is being given. But you can only give one player that license. You can't have a team full of you know free agents on the pitch who who roam around however they want. Uh, let me do this. I, I want to ask Paul another quick question because he has a hard stop. But Clive, you had something you wanted to throw in there. So why don't you do that real quick? No, I mean, the, the Ramsey thing is we have to start asking ourselves what's happening here, right? Because um, this deterioration is, is really something we either got to systemically fix or change how he plays. These soft tissue injuries, a lot of them are coming in his right leg, the same leg that he broke. The calves were in the right leg. The hamstrings were in the right leg. In my opinion, I wrote a blog about this. I'm not wishing to sound like Tim, but I wrote a blog about it a couple of weeks ago. Amputate the right leg? Yeah, well, no, basically no? Okay. saying. I'm a doctor, asked, but whatever. We're asking him, well, he's asking himself to do far too much work. And he is trying to do the box-to-box thing too literally. When actually, given the way Ozil's playing now, none of us has mentioned him so far, really. In all these early phases of the game, could you see him in a TV screen? No. He was so high. He was looking to get high, which means they were so isolated. He was so close to Giroud. And he is not a third midfielder. He's a third forward. And we are putting too much demands on any central two. And finally, the game I've enjoyed the most was when we had a midfield three, when we had a couple of kids and Oxley Chamberlain. They All three of them were close together. All three of them yep. could win every single sprint. All three of them could drive out of their spot. All three of them can when carry, they were can carry past, the ball five, ten yards through the midfield exactly, at, at pace. At pace. And all three of them, once they were dribbled past, could come back and catch up their man. And I no, I so back. wanted, can I just throw in, I so wanted yep. it to be Ainsley, Maitland, Niles when Kapui took, yeah, took that off his toe. Because you, and, and you know you what would have happened. He slows to a jog because he knows he's not getting he there. Can't he, catch him. he can't catch him. He can't catch him. So this is our superstar. And this is what I'm trying to say. You have to work out as a footballer when to adapt your game. You've got to say, I've had four or five hamstring injuries which interrupted my career. Three or four calf injuries interrupted my career. I've got to be more circumspect in my positioning. I've got to stay behind the ball. I Maybe I am not built like Steven Gerrard. Maybe I'm built more like Joe Allen. Maybe I've got to play that type of role to get into this Arsenal team because that's what this Arsenal team needs. Yes, I've scored goals. Yeah, he scored something like, I think he scored 16 goals in that season when he, when he in, in 2013, 2014. In the next 98 games since that cup final goal, he scored 17 goals. 
Yeah, it's so not he's great. not that but, player anymore. But why not this? Be, I do think he comes alive around the box. I think the problem is all the, all the territory behind that. Why couldn't you play Shaka and El Nenny together or Shaka and Cazorla if he still exists? You know, take your pick of Shaka's partner and have Ramsey play the third midfielder most advanced with Ozil in one of the wings with Alexis and then a runner, a Theo or a Lucas. Elliot, I'm with you. Ramsey, in my opinion, is a third midfielder. Yes, but I think he's very, the further further forward third midfielder. Third midfielder. That's just, I don't see him having the, the possession passing or the ball carrying or the quickness of movement uh, or defensive harrying to be the deeper midfield duo anymore. I see him being the guy who can play the little one-twos and back heels and cute stuff and scorpion flicks and get on the end of yep. moves and join the attack, but but he has the engine to, to occupy those spaces. I, I guess, look, that's nuanced. L- let's get to something that's a little less nuanced, um, uh, just real quick before we lose Paul. Um, Paul, Giroud is, is arguably the worst striker ever. I think we can all agree on that. But this was particularly bad by him. Um... It it is now many many games in a row, despite his hot scoring streak, where he has struggled from the start of games to really get involved. And I watched it really carefully. Now the statistics are galling. I mean, I think he completed four passes. Um, he had two failed aerial duels, one ball recovery. Um, he also lost possession. I think an astounding like five times or something in his half on the pitch. Is it is it finally becoming clear? I, I saw you know a bunch of people who used to have at me for getting on Giroud saying things. I saw one tweet that was like, you know, all right, enough with Giroud. Can someone take a crowbar to his leg or something? You know, the, when when people finally turn on Arsenal players, it gets really ugly. Um, and I'm not advocating that, uh, you know, openly. But I think can, can we finally just put to rest the idea that we can play our best football with Giroud? from the start? I mean, do you think the manager will now have put that out of his mind? Well, it's got to have been pretty telling that he made that substitution. I mean, he just doesn't do it. There were rumors that he had a knock from early in the match. I mean, am I just, is that just sort of the internet? You know, no, I read that up? as well. I wasn't too sure how real that was, but I read that something like that as well. Yeah. It, but I mean, we can't, so I don't, I'm not taking, I agree with your point and I'm not taking it back. I want, at this point, I want Alexis or the closest equivalent to play pretty much every game from here on in. Um, the the but you you guys made a very fair case earlier on that if you're going to play Giroud, you should play him with a setup that uh, plays to his strengths. Hard running um, wide so, players that can overlap, get into spaces, put balls into the. You know, I yeah. I, I lamented on Twitter openly lamented not having Giroud on the pitch those last 15, 20 minutes when we started yeah, to play exactly where in a way it, that he could have been useful. Yeah, um, and I, I'm going to say something radical. I've no proof for. I don't think he played bad. I think he had no chance to play well. And he was smothered by two centre-backs. I mean, at the end of the day, it amounts to the same thing. The Giroud option was an absolute zero that uh, was a sinkhole in the middle of our pitch. But it's not necessary. We don't know if he was in good form or bad form. He just got no chance to contribute because none of it played to any of his strengths, nor did the team. The fundamental point, uh, you know, ignoring his feelings either way, is... uh, if we want any chance of doing anything this season, we got to take some risks. I uh, wonder what the risks we're going to take for Saturday are, but obviously we need a different starting lineup. 
the manager needs to be a lot more brutal in terms of who the the pairings and the matchups are. And he needs to do something, I think, quite brave with midfield, whatever that's going to be. It's a worst-case scenario in some ways because virtually the entire team let him down. And so he's got to make wholesale changes going into a major, major fixture away. I mean, he's got to change his center forward. He arguably has to change one of the wide positions. He has to change both of his central midfielders. He has to, I mean, bringing Bellerin back in is not a a negative change. Who knows if he considers starting Mertesacker instead of Mustafi, which I'm not advocating, but Mustafi, you know, at fault for the two goals they did score. I think it's... You know, it's troubling. Nacho Monreal, I thought, was very, very poor. And, and you know, so maybe maybe Gibbs has a shout. It's it's rare that you go into a match this important feeling this uncertain about the 11. And, you know, I, I think the problem is, and Clive, let me, let me kick it back over to you for a second. Yeah. When you look at a team that's playing well, it's very rare that you say, we created danger from everywhere and everything worked. There's an engine room, right? That engine room might be, we killed them down the right wing and delivered dangerous balls into the box. It might be, we played right through their spine with vertical passes from midfield to our you know, uh, number 10 to our, our forwards running in behind. It could be like an, earlier in the season when we were really playing well, we had Ozil, Awobi, and Alexis forming this little trio just in the left half space and then yeah. sometimes finding Theo on the overlap. I looked on the pitch the first half yesterday, and there was no engine room. You know, the, the central midfield couldn't build from the middle. We didn't have the fullbacks to overlap and create with. So you wound up having, you know, Alexis got a lot of criticism for, you know, his, his soloist performance, which didn't come off. But what else did he have? When the ball came to him, he didn't have players all around him that he could link up with. And, and you know, it was, it was Monreal pinned against the touchline. And that was about it. Um, so, I mean, is that really the issue? Is just that that we're having trouble getting back to having those those effective partnerships on the pitch that can can um, link together and, and create problems for the opposition. I, I think we uh, we knew when you saw that team, you didn't think it was going to be fluid. You just what you what we saw was ten changes, and what I felt was, you know what, these guys need to react now. Because I know that Southampton was a lower-level game, but the performance and the the fluidity and how we looked was really quite high potential, quite promising. So if I'm one of those 10 players that have been brought in, I'm thinking, you know what, I'll better turn it on because Chelsea's coming at the weekend and I need to make sure I'm in that big game team. But what really disappointed me was nobody showed up in the first 15, 20 minutes, first half. No one showed up. And then you start to think a little bit deeper. This is when it gets a little bit more traumatic. Then you start to think about preparation. Then you start to think about accountability. Then you start to think about, are there too many comfortable players in that group? Do they all think they're all playing v Chelsea? Because that's how it looked to me. I didn't see anybody under pressure for his position. I just saw a group of players going through the motions. That's and, a great you know, point. That's a really because a and, lot of those players just feel like they're getting their their mm-hmm. positions off legacy than than merit right now. Exactly, Cochran, Ramsey, I mean, I, Giroud. You know, these guys haven't earned those positions. They're all they've all a few of them have signed new contracts. I mean, and they've all got their money. They're living in Hampstead, living in the best part of London. They're always in the Champions League. They don't have to win. No one gets. Fired, no one gets sold. No accountability is really. There's the, no accountability, and I don't want to. I don't want to overreact. This is not something that we haven't all felt at some point. 
And I was really excited about the Saturday game because I thought we would react on Tuesday. I thought that would drive the next group of players to a higher level. And I thought that would make everyone say, we've got Chelsea and Bayern coming up. I don't want to miss those games. So I'm Giroud. I'm thinking, I better, I better turn it on. I'm Ozil. I better turn it on. But I never felt it. I never saw that. And that, tells, that makes me go back to the manager and say, what type of environment have you, do you create? What type of account- accountability structure do you manage? Because, and then when he came out afterwards and said, we weren't mentally ready, I nearly flipped. Remember, before the match, he said we looked mentally strong and prepared. After the match, he said maybe we weren't mentally ready. We weren't mentally ready. And what he was saying really was, we went out to play. Remember that phrase he used to use, player-ish? Yeah. We just wanted to play. And I hate that phrase, player-ish, because it's it's the the, the most root evil part of our culture, that player-ish way we play. When it works, it's beautiful. But every now and again, you have to earn the right to play. And we did not respect our opponents, and we suffered for it. Let me um, let me do this, because Paul's got like two minutes left. And Paul, I do want to get on to the manager for a second. Um, and, and then, Clive, you and I can carry on just for a few more minutes, because I want to get a little yeah. bit into the fight back just a bit and, and talk just about how we get this back on track. But, Paul, the, the manager did say before the match that we looked mentally strong and after the match that we were not mentally strong. Mental strength is something that, unfortunately, he just goes to a lot. And sometimes I think it's just because he doesn't care what he says to the press. And frankly, you know, he he feels that he does these, you know, he does these interviews and press conferences because it's his job and his responsibility, but that I don't think he's really genuinely trying to get at the issues or or be particularly candid. Um, What did you make of that sort of interesting uh, contradiction in terms of how the manager explained us before the match and then after after the result? Yeah. Um, Well, I I would like to comment a little bit on the discussion on... Uh, players thinking they can kind of ride the game. I don't buy it. I just don't. Um, And even in this particular game, probably five or six players were playing, knew they were playing to play uh, against Chelsea. Uh, Giroud certainly was. I mean, you can't mention him and say, oh, well, he was just there thinking he had it made. He knows what we know, which is there is absolutely no guarantee uh, he was starting against Chelsea. I'm just going to answer you with, with one thing real yeah. quick, because Tim Stillman said this on, who's often on this podcast, Alberto, he said this on our WhatsApp chat, but also on Twitter, so I think it's fair game. His response to you is, he basically said, the manager played Giroud and planned to play Giroud until he gave him an excuse not to, and we've dropped points because he didn't want to hurt the players' feelings, basically. I mean, isn't that, it's not so much that Giroud didn't want to play... Might- that might be yeah. true, but it doesn't impact Giroud's motivation. Right, he knows fair. he's playing for his life. Uh, it will be the same. I mean, he's getting starts, but there's there's no guarantee he plays against Chelsea if the manager then swaps out uh, Giroud uh, for Alexis. Then it's all changed. You know, d- is he fully confident that he starts ahead of Perez at the moment? I mean, he might be confident, but he's not fully confident. He knows he has to play better than Perez. He knows he has to play as good or better than Theo. So uh, I don't buy it. Uh, Coquelin can't feel particularly comfortable. He's no, he, he knows he's starting with Ramsey and that they haven't exactly cracked it. Uh, Ramsey's not coming on there thinking life's good. He knows he's coming back from fitness issues and he needs to reestablish himself. Uh, Gabrielle's not there for a holiday. Um, 
you know, Gibbs has been on Nacho's shoulder for the last 10 games or so, so I don't buy it. Well, let me give um, you the counterpoint. I mean, no. if you play, if you if it's a meritocracy, shouldn't Maitland-Niles or Oxlade-Chamberlain, I, I get maybe not Maitland-Niles, but you're going with a central midfield pairing that you don't necessarily, you're not going to necessarily be in love with regardless of who it is. Wouldn't you say that the 5-0 at the weekend earned someone a right to, to get another chance? Yeah, and they might well get it against Chelsea on well, Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So <laughs> guess what? They were right to think they were playing for their lives. I mean, they might have been co- reasonably confident they were in pole position, but nobody starts in pole position thinking, all right, now I can just cruise. So uh, don't... Uh, I just I think it's a little bit of a you know we get upset we lose I think our analysis so far if I may say so myself I think Clive's analysis has been excellent however we should be careful with the old amateur psychology I mean it's all it's all good opinion stuff but you know they don't get to this level by not giving a shit Um, but anyway but to the manager a mental strength yeah go go for um, it I think he was a bit fucking flabbergasted now. You can take that whatever way you like. I think he genuinely thought that the the team's head was in the right place. I suspect the biggest issues was this team took the field with some major vulnerabilities that we would nine times out of ten not got, get caught on, and we got fucking rattled. I think that's that's what happened. And you can call that a lack of mental strength, but probably if shit hadn't gone down the way it had, we would have been all right, and we wouldn't have been worried about mental strength. I think there is something of a lack of leadership as opposed to, you know, people not caring or there's just been, a, you know, uh, some lack of preparation. I think there are some flaws in how we set up and in terms of leadership in the middle of the park. And Ramsey was it. Ramsey could be that leader, but he's, he isn't in the state of mind right now. He's struggling enough to get his own game going. He may have been struggling before he got injured. He may have felt pretty flat-footed, uh, as per Clive's comments about not looking yeah. for that throw-in. May have felt very uncomfortable. Yeah, and they, he didn't look. He didn't look. He even trained. They think it. Yeah. They didn't look fit. I don't no. want to. You know what? It's so easy to kill individuals. I could kill loads of them. It's too easy to kill them. He didn't look fit. He looked yeah. like he'd he had treatment and he went out to play. And that's what it looked like. We weren't fit in the middle. We got rattled. The gap started appearing everywhere. Uh, Everybody felt exposed from the midfield back to the defense. And it was shambolic. We we came out with a fight in the second half. I think we could have gotten the result we were looking for. Uh, Not to blame the conditions, because, hey, it's England. But it didn't help any because I think it really bogged us down after we didn't get the goals in the first 20 minutes of the second half that we were still looking for that goal. Then we get one goal. I think we're pretty fucking pooped by the end. Alexis of looked shattered, which also begs yeah. the question, why was he brought on with half an hour to go of a, you know, a game that was in the bag? Yeah. Um, yeah. Paul, I know you got to run. Is that about it for you? Yeah. It is. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that we we, uh, will have to soldier on without you, but now we can say all the really nasty (laughs) stuff that we would be embarrassed to say in front of you. You can find Paul on Twitter at Positive My Pants. Paul, uh, we will talk to you after the uh, triumph at Stanford Bridge, correct? That's right. All right. Thanks, bud. Um, Onwards and upwards. Great job, Clive. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Thanks. Yeah, so, Clive, um, there's so much to unpack here, and I I don't want to go on for two hours, even though that's kind of our thing. Um, a A few things. You know, I look at City today, 
uh, as we're recording this, they just finished walloping uh, West Ham 4-0. And they were pretty mobile, didn't they? They did. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, And they dropped Aguero. You know, to your point about accountability, maybe it's not so much that the players feel... Um, that that the players feel entitled. Maybe it's that the manager is too conservative in choosing the guys he just feels comfortable with. Because Pep dropped Aguero today. Sergio freaking Aguero. Just, nope, you're not in my team. But you look at that team, Mane, G- uh, Jesus, or is it Jesus? Gabriel Jesus? Yeah. Jesus? Gabriel, how about that? Uh, Mane, Sterling. Sterling, De Bruyne. I mean, they can run at you run. for days and run and run some more and run some more. And I just think at the end of the day, especially less lower quality sides do not want to see mobility and pace and, and players that can run. Um, and we saw that again, Southampton at the weekend and we didn't see it this weekend. I mean, is that, you know, I had joked on Twitter, uh, you know, can we just ride or die? And I mentioned this on the previous podcast with all our attacking players and say, fuck the midfield. Isn't there an argument, though, that we have some really sensational, powerful, running, pacey players that can scare the crap out of uh, opposition? We are never going to be the controlled, defensively sound uh, team that just, you know, passes it a thousand times a game and cuts you to death. That We used to be that. We're not that anymore. Does the manager just need to just give in to this, you know, mobile, all-out attack kind of system, especially in the league where, you know, one point is pretty much as bad as zero anyway? Yeah, well, you know what? Let's give you a little bit of history of myself, right? So my favorite ever player was Patrick Vieira. I loved his physicality. I loved his mobility. I loved the fact he could beat his man off the dribble. And he was two men in one. He's right? not walking so, through that door anytime yeah, soon. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's the type of football I like. Transition football, athletic football, physical football. Right. So in the way that modern football's heading, we have got a shortage of what I call super talent. But there is no shortage of sports science in the Premier League. So people are now buying footballers based on athleticism, sprinting power, speed endurance, speed agility. Which means a Watford can turn up and they can run with us. Arsenal have just bought a young player from Hedersfield Town, £40,000. They haven't bought him because he can do 1,000 keepy-ups. They bought him because he can do 100 metres in 10.9 seconds. That's where football is going. He's a super athlete. He's already at the physical level of our first-team players, of our under-23 players. What he has to adapt to in the next few months is playing football every day. He's already an elite athlete. Now, I feel, I've always felt this, and I've been saying it for years, we have not respected the athleticism side of the game enough. So we need, we even need to be technically superior or athletically superior. We can't be in between the both. We have got some very good athletic players. We have got some very good technical players. So I think we're getting the balance wrong. We have this non-athletic team, that we played last night. And we had that. We had a super athletic team that we played on Saturday. We need to find a balance and system which emphasises athleticism that we have, hides the weaknesses of players who are not very athletic because it gives them the system from which to play, like Shaka, for example. If you put two runners next to him, he looks fantastic. If you make him cover wide spaces, guess what? He dives into tackles. We lose him for four games. Shaka plays last night. We do not, we do not lose that game. 
So it's costing us. But that's the manager's job. You know, it's obvious. We Everton sped up the game second half, outrun us. Man City sped up the game second half, outrun us. Preston outrun us in the first half. This is not a new phenomenon. We are being outworked. And there are certain players getting a free ride in this system. And I've got to say, and he's one of my favorite, he's in my top five players who's ever played for Arsenal. But I'm telling you, Meza Ozil, we're carrying him. We're carrying him athletically. He's not delivering at the top end of the pitch. So we need to reduce his defensive capabilities, what we expect from him. Get him into areas where his heartbeat does not change in the last third. He can deliver. We can't make him a third midfielder. We have to make him a third forward. Yeah. Until we do that, we won't win serious big games because we're putting too much pressure. I mean, Aaron Ramsey's a lightning rod. Cochrane's a lightning rod. But you know what? Almost any two is going to struggle at the top end of, of proper big boy football. Yeah, I just think when when you are at the top level of football, you want to look at the clashes, at the, the players that are going to come up against each other on the pitch, and you want to look at those matchups and say, we have the advantage there. They're going to be scared shitless. And I think if I'm a Watford, and I know I'm not as talented as Arsenal, but you tell me I'm a midfielder for Watford and I'm going to be coming up against a two of Coughlin and Ramsey, I feel I can handle that. I, I, I'm, yeah. going to chance, I'm going to take my chances, right? Because I'm going to say... You know, if I can nick the ball off of Cochran, if I can get it off of Ramsey or get in his face, these guys aren't going to dribble around me. If I can get it, I can beat them in a foot race. This this gives yeah. me a chance, and it emboldens those players. If you see, you know, Olivier Giroud sitting in the, you know, at the top of the box and you're two brawny, big, slow-footed Premier League center backs, you feel you've got a chance if you can be physical with him. But when you see Alexis, who can turn either way and pivot and dribble, and he's got Theo running in behind, or Welbeck or Lucas running in behind, when Ozil is able to pop up in spaces in between players like an Oxlade Chamberlain carrying it from midfield, suddenly you create mismatches that those players are find it harder to live with. Um, and I Absolutely. just think... Sometimes we set out our team in a way that I think the opposition is going to thank us for, and I think that's what we did the other day um, against Watford. So one thing that did happen in the game, you know, we get back into it um, with a goal from Awobi, who I think really shined when he switched over to the left um, at the start of the second half. We made a change to take Coughlin off and bring Lucas on, and I understand that change to get more attacking. But it, it pulled Awobi back to midfield and out of the left. For you, was that where the challenge died because we lost the the threat that Awobi had been creating down that left flank? I'm afraid so, absolutely. Right? And um, I really wanted Lucas on the pitch, and but I wasn't sure where he should go. Uh, I, I just wanted him on the pitch. But by taking Awobi from the left, he just started to boss his man. He just started to drive them back. It felt like any second now we'd score another goal. He's made a positive substitution, which we've all asked for sometimes. But now we're in a situation where the injury had, had maybe taken a substitution away from us. We brought Walker on, who hadn't really moved the leg since the game on Saturday because he hadn't played for five weeks. He was really playing as a, a centre-forward slide to the right. He wasn't really holding his width. Gabriel maybe shouldn't have been on the pitch. Maybe that was a decision to make. Maybe Bellerin should have come on sooner rather than Walcott, and we have width, and we and we can play within those lines. But we just didn't spread them out far enough, and we just went into four centre-halves. I mean, Cathcart, who played right back um, against us last night, 
He played centre-half in the FA Cup game. He was man of the match. This guy's a centre-half. He's a giant. And once we once we have no whip, he can just tuck in narrow and we're playing against four big bodies. And um, we just we just didn't start the game professionally enough. And um, and that, you know, sometimes you can overmanage. You see something happening and you feel you've got to make a change. And I felt this time Wenger maybe overmanaged that situation and made a decision which really nullified our offensive ability. And he, he got it backwards because I really do feel in those last 15 or 20 minutes when it was getting a little chaotic and they were starting to sit deeper. That we needed Giroud, didn't we? Need, we? Yeah, we needed a focal point, someone to get the ball to in the box who, you know, where, yeah. maybe you win the second ball. And there were chances. I mean, Theo had a couple of great chances. Lucas hit the bar. Um, Awobi had a chance well saved. The ball fell, you know, where we, we won second balls, but they blocked shots. I thought Ox had a curler that was blocked that looked like it was headed for the the right upper corner. I mean, there were chances, but X, on XG, you know, expected goals metric for what it's worth, uh, yeah. Watford were value for their win. They they ha- they beat us there too, so it wasn't like they fluked this. Um, I think that the real problem here is that it appears that we have a system that only works with very specific personnel. One of those players is certainly Santi Cazorla. Um, I think you could say Shaka is certainly in there. But when any of that personnel moves around, the system doesn't seem to work. What I would ask you, Clive, is, you know, a team should have a style. You know, and playing Alexis at center forward with Iwobi and Theo on the wings or Danny and Theo or Lucas and Theo, whatever it is, is a totally different approach to football than playing with a target man. Is Is it sensible... To alternate between those styles because you, you you fail to develop a cohesion, a, a familiarity with a playing style. You know, if you want to play with Giroud up front as your striker the whole season, so be it. You know, I, I would say I don't like that. But when you start the season playing with Alexis as your center forward and you do that for four months and then you switch, doesn't that just totally reset the dynamic of how a team has to play? I think um, a, a lot of teams train every single day in what they call shadow play pattern play and it's the, the pattern and the timing of the pass and the movements they're all choreographed it doesn't just happen everyone knows where they need to be right it's what they train for many many years now Arsenal fans have been asking for a plan b but what we're doing now is we've got two distinct styles which are so far apart that we are not able to switch smoothly from one to the other so you're absolutely right that cohesion is not there and what's really concerning is that we can all see it within two, three minutes. We can all see it within two, three minutes of the start of a game if we're moving well. We're, we're a team that's really built on pace of pass, technique at, at speed. That what differentiates us from the rest of the teams in the league. The way we move the ball, the way we receive the ball, the way we take the ball on, the way we transfer it. And we, we're a team that flows through the thirds. The moment we look clunky we become standing targets. And by that, I mean we become standing targets for the tackle. We become standing targets for the duels. And as soon as that happens, we drop down the level. Right? And we look human. And then we start to look at the speed of Mustafi and the size of him. We start to look at Gabriel and the fact that he shouldn't be out there. We start to question Monreal the amount of times that he has not been in charge of his winger on the right-hand side. We start to look at our centre midfield and think, well, actually, they don't want the ball. They don't want the ball 
on the half turn. They want the ball in front of them where they can run onto it. That's two of them, so the balance is wrong. So we can't build there. Ozil normally recognises that and he drops deep and he takes responsibility. He was too high because we were, we, were, we were already two goals down. So he's trying to score. Alexis is trying to do what he does, which is everyone else's job. And Giroud was basically lost in that mire and Awobi was on the wrong side. So you look at all of those issues, it's no wonder we lost. But if we go one that up, those issues don't look as big. right? So tactically, tactically systemically, we were very underpowered. At some point, we're coming to what I call the money mumps. We have to settle on a style. We can't play between the two. Saturday morning, we need to decide what arsenal are we? Is this team defined by Giroud or is it defined by Alexis? If it's defined by Alexis, let's give him Welbeck and Walcott power runners outside him. Yep. Let's make sure Ozil is next to him. Let's make sure he can see two strong centre mids who can run just behind him. And let's get our fullbacks, proper fullbacks back on the pitch. And by the way, Kieran Gibbs is 50 50 with Monreal. It doesn't matter which one plays for me. And let's I think Monreal is, is, is marginally the better defender, but I just think he's he's offering very little uh, in any other phase of play right now. Yeah, he's just he he's it's it's very fifty fifty. I think slightly better defender, slower. slightly better, yeah, slower. But he's very experienced where he stands. His short pass combination game is is better. It's more snappy. Yeah, that's fair. But gigs, yeah, but gig. Um, he Gibbs, sorry, he can basically cover distance. And in that system, once Alexis is off the left, I think, and, and Welbeck driving, the Welbeck-Gibbs combination is quite interesting. Very athletic. Welbeck covers back. I, I like it. I like it a lot. I really do. And I think it's uh, very promising. Nothing better than when your forward gets the ball, pushes it ahead of him, and you see the moment where the center back shits himself and goes, oh, fuck, I can't get to this. He's going to beat me. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's, exactly. the best, it's the best thing in the world. And I'm going to tell you something. Look, I played football at, I'm trying to think what the lowest possible level you could play football would be like against like my pets, like, you know, really low level. But even at that yeah. level, when you lined up across a guy and you took that first run at him and he was huffing and puffing five yards behind you after you took a step, you immediately knew it was going to be a good day for you. You know what I mean? Yep. There's that moment exactly. that you have in a match where you take a guy on or he takes you on and you get that feeling where you say, oh, fuck. You know? You know? Um, this is real. Yeah. This is yeah, real. Yeah. It's, it's man-on-man jewels. It really is. And, all, uh, all of you the can pitch. Tell and especially for us. Because, Clive, we're not, you know, we're not doing uh, advanced calculus with our tactics here. You know, not to say that Guardiola is some genius, but Arson is a believer in letting his players express themselves a little bit more. And so if you're going to do that, you need to make sure you have advantages across the pitch in talent, athleticism, skill. Um, and I just don't think that was the case against Watford. Now, we'll wrap up with this. Look, I mean, the Chelsea match is coming up, and there's going to have to be wholesale changes. And I do think Giroud's moment as our center forward is probably gone, and I think we will go to a more mobile lineup. The question is now, is it too little too late? At this point, I mean, is it fair to say that the season is... Yet again, just as we turn the calendar to February, down to a hashtag race for fourth. I'm not quite there yet because I'm a I'm a half deluded fan. But um, 
it wouldn't surprise me if we went to Chelsea and did something because we have to. And, um, but what are we doing? Are we then bringing Tottenham back into a, a race? Are we then bringing everyone else back into a race? Well, United I, dropped I just, points this week. Spurs dropped points this week. Liverpool dropped points yeah. this week. Chelsea dropped points this week. And we come out of the week the worst of all of them. It's really remarkable. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's Arsenal, right? When we do these things, we do it in style, right? So the one we were the one team that had probably, along with maybe Manchester United, the easiest game. But Hull are an improving team. And it comes back to respect to your position. Hull have got a new manager. They made a, a number of changes in the um, transfer window. Watford have done the same. And these guys are really working hard for their futures. And uh, none of us suspected they would be that good. We disrespect them as fans. We, and more, what's really worrying, the professional people in our club disrespected them. And, um, and, and, it, and it cost us. Moving on to Chelsea, we have to go mobile. We just have to. We need to challenge them across the ground. We need to challenge the green spaces. We need Alexis, we need Ozil close together, and we need two power forwards out wide. And if we do that, I think we can really hurt them. I don't think David Luiz is invincible. I don't think Cahill and Aspicreta are. But you have to get them running backwards. If they're running forward, if they're in control, if they're not stressed, we're going to have a long day. But I think we have the power athletes to stress them. We have the technical players to move them around. But we have to pick the right side. And um, let's hope Benga does it. Yeah. You know, the one thing I will say, people, I don't think people often take into consideration the way a selection can impact each individual player. So, Clive, like, I saw a lot on Twitter, a lot on blogs and social media of saying, you know, well, you know, sure, criticize Giroud or Coughlin or Ramsey all you want, but nobody was good on the day. And, you know, maybe Iwobi was the only guy who came out of this with any any credit. That's not how it works. You know, it's... It's a machine, and every gear has to turn every other gear. So for me, for example, having that target man, that slower guy up front, affects Ozil's play, affects Alexis's play, who, who you know maybe then tries to do too much individually, coming in from the flank and getting dispossessed. I think two central midfielders that aren't performing, again, impacts the way those forwards can get involved, even as Giroud, because there's no linking play. So... I do think that individually bad performances can cause other players to suffer. Um, You know, I look at Alexis, and when he's on the left, and he doesn't have a midfield that's linking up well, and he doesn't have the movement in front of him, what does he do? He shifts it to his right, and he tries to beat a man, and then beat the next man, and then beat the next man, until a a passing window opens up for him. When he's through the center, he drops deep. He comes and goes. He runs behind. He's he's all over the pitch. It makes it harder for, for defenders to track him. But also, when he receives the ball... He turns both ways when he's central. Yep. He'll turn left or right. When he's on the, the left side, he always puts the ball on his right foot and, and tries to come inside because he's looking for options to either shoot or, or play a through ball. So, you know, I, I think you could say, well, Alexis was bad too, or you could say the selection and the way we played forced him into a style of play that is not where he excels. Um, you have to put the chess pieces in the position to, you know, make the killer moves. So... Exactly. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I um, I think the scary with Alex, thing with with Alexis with Alexis. Let me just go on to it. Just when it goes into Giroud, the possibilities are limited. When it goes into Alexis, when he's centre forward, the possibilities are are endless, and that's exactly what you want from your superstar, from your centre yeah. forward. You want some. You you want to feel when the ball goes into him, 
I'm not sure what's going to happen here, but I trust this guy to make something happen. And he does. And that's how I feel. That's how I feel when he's there. I just feel he's going to try something that's going to cause somebody else a problem. His unpredictability is his number one trick. And what we have with Giroud, he's a very good at what he does, but what he does is very much in the main quite predictable and limited by his by his mobility. So that limits, that tells people how to play against him. That pushes up the space. They push up on him. They squeeze the space and they drive us backwards. So we have a decision to make. We all know what he is. I don't think many people would disagree with us. But um, will he do it? I, I think, I think he, he will. Um, I really do. I just think we're at the point now where, you know, I think the possibility that of Welbeck not even being in the team on Tuesday, maybe with an eye towards starting him. Yep. Um, you know, at the end of the day, though, I will say this. Whether it's Welbeck or Walcott or Lucas, I don't think any of them should be starting central. I think it's got to be Alexis because I think the yeah. delta in the performances you get from him through the center versus out wide are you know you know is is massive. Um, here's what worries me: we still go away to Chelsea this weekend. We have Anfield away at the beginning of March. We still go to White Hart Lane. You've got two players in Alexis and Ozil who will have their waning contracts and you know summer decision making on their mind. Um, players like Ramsey as well. Um, it scares me that if we lose touch at the top, the season could start to fold in on itself, especially if there's, you know, maybe even a humiliating, but really any loss, you know, you, you go to Stanford Bridge and lose, and then you get knocked out by Bayern Munich, and you could see the snowball starting to go down the hill. Several podcasts ago, uh, Tim and I discussed whether top four was in, in danger, and he made the point he didn't feel we could lose, you know, th- that we would have to win at least one of our trips to Stamford Bridge, Anfield, or White Hart Lane for it to even be in the conversation. Are you yeah. are you concerned at all that this could this could collapse quickly if things don't go well over the next week or two? Strangely, I, I don't know why. I, I'm I'm sometimes an event like last night happens and. Basically, it forces us into decisioning. You know, I agree with him on this. When Wenger has multiple decisions to make, he's not great. Once he's forced into decisioning, he makes the right ones because he has to either by injury or by disaster. Last night was a disaster. He'll be allowed now to not confront his players that he likes, that he's nurtured over the last five, six, seven, eight years, and actually decide, this is what I'm going to do. And we're more likely going to look better we're going to perform better so i'm not concerned by that i'm not concerned by the future at all to be honest because Wenger's 67 he's in departure lounge it's only a matter of time before we need to come to real change how we manage that change is going to be really interesting i find it really exciting i'm not scared of it i'm not scared of coming outside the top four because it's going to precipitate some form of change either with the playing staff or with the management or the hierarchy of the club I'm not saying the guy has to go because I like the guy. However, 20 years of the same inconsistencies consistently happening has made me less fearful of the future because at the moment he's doing everything in his power to make exactly the same mistakes he's made previous seasons year on year on year. So I'm not afraid of it at all. If you come outside the top four, I'm not afraid of it. But this squad is huge, it's big, it's fit, it's not injured. He needs to deliver. 
and, and I think I think he will. I think we'll be fine. And I, there's a lot of talent here, and it's it's the best team I've seen for three four years. We need to turn it around, and it starts on Saturday. Yeah, it's as it's as good a squad as we've had since we were winning titles. So, and, and yep. you know, look, look, let's be clear. If Chelsea win the title with 94 points, kudos to them. Hats off, right? I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, we didn't win the title again. If we finish the season yeah. on 67, 68, 66 points again, you can judge that in abstraction a little bit. Um, you yeah. know, if we, if we finish third on 86 points, you can't really complain with that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, look, all, all we can do is cross our fingers that we get the result on Sunday. At this point, you know, the, the title race is clearly not in our hands. I think I saw somewhere that Chelsea just need 37 points the rest of the season to make it impossible for anyone to catch them. So wow. it, it may just be a case where it doesn't matter what we do, really, at this point. But... We, you know, we can step up and at least be counted. I just think, you know, this Watford game reminded me of an inverse of of the Swansea game last season. Remember, we beat Leicester yep. in that heart stopping manner, and then shit the bed yep. and lost at home to, to a relegation threatened Swansea team. Um, yeah, very similar. Yeah, and this was just that in reverse. We've got this Chelsea match coming up. We're on a good run. It looks like we have a chance to climb right back into a title race, so, you know, against odds, and then we come up against a side with no momentum, take them lightly, and shit the bed. So to your point, we're seeing the same inconsistencies consistently. Um, yep. Clive, I, we've gone on too long as it is, so let's leave it there. I, I appreciate you being on. Uh, Clive is on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Uh, we hope to have you on again very soon. Great stuff. We enjoyed it, man. Take care. Yeah, these have been a couple great pods with you. I appreciate that. Um, very t- two. You couldn't ask for two more different uh, uh, games to cover <laughs> than five nil over Swansea and two uh, one at home to uh, Watford. Anyway, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Look, I don't. It, 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 the problem with doing podcasts after matches like these is they, they just leave you scratching your head so much. You feel like you've seen it so many times, and at times it feels like there is nothing new left to say. Um, the analysis feels stale because it feels familiar, um, which is maybe the most damning thing of all. But look, got to beat Chelsea. Got to go to Stanford Bridge and beat Chelsea. Got to play the pace. Got to play the dynamic players. Get Welbeck in there. Get Lucas in there. Get Theo in there. Get Alexis up front. You know, some combination of that. If Ox is fit, put him in central midfield. If you need to play Maitland-Niles there or Wobie in central midfield, do it. But, But don't. Don't go with what we know can't work. Because at the end of the day, I'll put it this way. I'd rather lose 4-0 trying to run at them than lose 1-0 with the same stale crap that we know can't get a result. So we'll leave it there. Um, uh, Please give us a five-star review. Uh, on uh, iTunes or wherever you find this podcast, and then you can write all the nasty shit in the comments part of it, so you, you get a little bit of both. You get a little bitter and the sweet all together, which kind of sums up the Arsenal as well. So, uh, fingers crossed for Saturday, and we will talk to you after the match. Cheers, everybody.